Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. It's amazing um, just what a bit of sunshine does, just to kind of brighten our, our days here, isn't it? It's, it's really been wonderful to kind of enjoy that, and um, really beautiful to have Gillian with us and all the things that have been going on this morning. What I love about the church is that actually the Spirit of God uses all of us to um, minister to one another. So there's ministry happening whether I preach today or not, so maybe I should just <laughs> head off. But already in my time here, I have felt people encourage me, pray for me, encourage others, pray for others. I've just seen the body of Christ ministering to one another, even in the last hour or so, and it's beautiful to see. Um, so I want to just encourage you in that, to keep encouraging one another, praying for one another, and all of those things. Um, we're in a series called Liberated by Love. I'm sure you'll, if you've been around the last number of months, you'll, have, um, you'll know about that. And um, we've been following Jesus through the Gospels, um, meeting ordinary people like you and me, the wandering rabbi from Galilee, and how these encounters with Jesus changed people's whole view of the divine, and how that God was remaking this world around an axis of love, and the good news that actually sounds like good news, and how it ushers in liberation um, through loving encounter with Christ. Um, liberation, as I was sharing last week, from everything that would enslave us, oppress us, bind us, hold us back, keep us captive. The gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God, as we might call it, is to liberate us from that. And we're moving into the book of Acts, and we've been hanging out there. And actually today, believe it or not, is Trinity Sunday. So we've had Pentecost last week. Um, you know we love to talk about the Christian calendar. I'm not going to bore you with that too much this morning, but obviously that beautiful mapping of the Christ story across our year. And we love to follow that here in Redeemer, um, right through from Advent through Easter, Pentecost. And it's Trinity Sunday today. And one of the reasons why we love that is because it immerses us in the story of Jesus. And I think we kind of need to be immersed in the story of Jesus, particularly in the days that we live, to be reminded and to, over, to rehearse uh, the narrative, the story that we are part of. So Trinity Sunday, I'd love to hang out and meditate on the, the idea, the reality, the experience of God as the triune God. And um, three Sundays ago, we looked at the resurrection accounts. Stephanie and I were teaching on on the Emmaus Road and on Thomas and on Peter and the folks that were following Jesus right through Easter, right through the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and these appearances that the, res the resurrected Christ had among his disciples. And you remember in John 20, Jesus, during one of those resurrection appearances, turns to his disciples and says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So note that there's mentions there of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is mentioning the Father and the Holy Spirit. Two Sundays ago, we were in Ascension Sunday. And Ascension Sunday, as I was talking about, is that miraculous, mysterious event that is, I think, over underemphasized in the church where Christ returns mysteriously to be with his Father um, and how that actually signifies an enthronement. 
I love the quote by N.C. Wright. It says, Easter tells us that Jesus is himself the first part of the new creation. The ascension tells us that, it tells us that he is now running it. He's now running new creation. He is the king. We've been singing about the king this morning, oh, high king of heaven. Um, and Jesus, when he, when he, before he ascends, he turns again to his disciples, to his followers, and he says, well, it was while he was eating, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, mentions of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And then last week, Pentecost Sunday, of course, we were looking at how that it's not just the end of Easter Pentecost. Pentecost marks the start of something new. It's the birthday of the church. There's a new chapter opening up, and we read all about that and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we kind of forget that these group of Jesus followers are not Christians. It's a, this is a Jewish sect that follows the, the wandering rabbi Jesus. And they have come to see that in Jesus, he is the promised one of God, the Messiah. But they have no, they've a construct, a concept of what God is like. And yet Jesus is just gently teaching them and weaving through these encounters, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's a revelation of who God is. And their view of God is always changing and reconstructing. And later on, in the uh, early church fathers, there's a word that we describe that, and that's the Trinity. And you'll not find the word Trinity in any of your Bibles because it's just not there. But the Trinity is all over your Bibles. It's everywhere in your Bibles. It's just the word is not there. And Jesus' ultimate agenda was the common to help us see who God is, to reveal God with us. And we see this revelation and we can celebrate that today in Trinity Sunday as Christians that we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you'll have heard all those metaphors that describe that, particularly St. Patrick and his wandering around Ireland and his three-leaf clover. And I'm sure his, the people that he was teaching in those days, I'm sure thought that was profound imagery and metaphor. And yet, like any metaphor, it breaks down, doesn't it? It breaks down. Every metaphor breaks down. There's other metaphors that we could describe the divine, maybe music, the melody, the harmony, the rhythm, these kind of three distinct items that come together, just like the Trinity, three distinct persons that come together in one. And I don't want to get into the deep theology of that today as much as I just want to meditate on something that helps me come to some kind of understanding or relationship with this mystery that is the Trinity. There are two great mysteries to our faith as Christians. One is the incarnation. Jesus is fully God and fully human. It's a, it's a mystery. We will never comprehend that. And there's a second mystery, which is this tr the Trinity, this, this revelation of, of, of what, what God is like in three persons and yet one. I've heard it said that the number you should think about when you think about the Trinity is actually one because the tr God is un united as one. But there's a mystery to that, two great mysteries, and we love to embrace the mystery here in Redeemer and live in that. But I want to meditate today on an icon that's going to come up on the screen behind me. Icons are holy paintings, blessed paintings that help invoke worship and prayer in the beholder. You can think of them like a visual worship song. <laughs> 
very popular in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And in 1425, Andrei Rublev, a Russian monk and iconographer, created what would become one of the most famous icons in history. And it's called the Hospitality of Abraham. And it's more commonly known as an image of the Trinity. On one level, it's depicting the three angels who dined with Abraham in Genesis 18, but on another level, it's a representation of God. It's an attempt of trying to put into an image God. And this tradition, highly creative icon, he, he, he drew, he drew an icon, he drew an icon in a time of unrest in Russia as he wanted to help monks meditate and find peace for their souls in the midst of a tumultuous Russia. And so in the icon, you see the three members of the Trinity around the table. And there's a bunch of remarkable things to think about. And I just want to meditate on this this morning. I want to riff with it. Can't go with me for, for, for a few minutes here on this. Interestingly, the, the, three, the three persons here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're, they're equal in size. There's an, equal, there's an equality there that's represented in the artwork there. There's interesting things you can study there about how those three persons are representing a oneness, and yet they're three distinct people, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is the Father who generates, the Son who is begotten, and the Holy Spirit who proceeds. Trinitarian theology is beautiful and deep, and we're not going to go into it all today, but you should definitely go there. And then there's this interesting association that I find with this icon and Pentecost. In fact, this icon is... Every icon has a place in a church building, and this particular icon, its position in the Eastern Orthodox Church, um, it's often used at Pentecost, and it sits beside the central doors in the church on the altar. And there's a real connection between Pentecost and this icon in that tradition, which is really interesting for us to think about as we are in the season of Pentecost. And so I suppose the question I want to just ask this morning is, <clears throat> Who is God? And there's these three words that change everything for me. In 1 John 4, 8 and 16, we read that God is love. We read that God is love. And that sentence is doing a lot of work. It's, it's doing a lot of work. What does that mean? Because when I was growing up in the church, I was presented with an image of God that was not fully like that. I've been on a journey with my understanding of what God is like. There were people, good people, well-intentioned people that taught me and passed on a theology, and I was taught that God is love, and yet there was something about God that seemed to be angry or judgmental or even hateful or vengeance. We can get into that. We've got into that before. Maybe you've been brought up in a kind of culture like that. And all those ways in which God would judge mankind and how that Jesus was kind of sent to pacify the anger of God. He was sent to be like a substitute in our place. And, and I believe that Jesus is a substitute, but that there was this teaching about the wrath of God and God being judgmental and angry. And it was a view that I think sometimes still to this day kind of seeps into my imagination Hands up if anyone had a bit of a view of that growing up. Come on, be honest, yeah? And it's understandable because when you read the scriptures, there's some pretty interesting stuff in there, let's just say. The Bible's really interesting when you actually read it. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. 
Wow. A vindictive God who punished his enemies. And then we have the Jesus who we love, who kind of steps in and kind of takes it. And it's a complicated theology, but what I realized was that it was a really distorted view of who God is. It was very reductionistic, very distorted. Um, and it can leave us feeling very, very guilty and unworthy and full of shame when we have a view of God like that. And I know many of you have had to be working on that view of God and coming to see who God is is a really good question to be asking this morning. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus the Christ came to reveal to us who God is. It wasn't that we knew who God was and then Jesus showed up and he's kind of consistent with that. It's like we didn't really know what God was like. We had a guess. He revealed himself in ways, but Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is. When we look at the face of Jesus, we see the face of God, and we see the face of God as a kind and compassionate and benevolent Father, and a God who looks like Christ with a posture of self-giving love. And so from those complex views of God in my youth, I felt like the story of God was a very small story for a very small group of people. And then I began to realize that the gospel was expansive and big and large and involved the whole of the cosmos and all of creation and all of the human race. And at the center of it is those three words, God is love. And God is love and this image, this icon that we've been looking at this morning begins to open up a conversation with us about who is God like? And in this icon, we see that God is a community of love. There's an energy and a power that sustains the other persons. There's a dance going on of love in this fellowship. This is a revelation of the divine, the supreme force, the most powerful reality in the universe. And the Christian story reveals to us that God is love. First John 4 says this, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. And those who love are born of God and know God. And those who do not love do not know God. Why? For God is love. The revelation of God as love is not a vacuum. It doesn't come into a vacuum, as I've been saying. Jesus is the key here. Jesus is God with us. When we look at the face of Jesus, we see God. And I quote this a lot, but I think it's absolutely on the money. The brand's end says, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known this, but now we do. That God is like Jesus. He's love incarnate. Love and history, pure love, walking and talking and being among us. And we are invited to know this God and the true God. Does God cause famines? No, he feeds the hungry. Does God inflict sickness? No, he heals the sick. Does God shun sinners? No, he welcomes them. Does God condemn the guilty? No, he saves them. Does God... Blame the afflicted, no, he shows them mercy. Does God resent human pleasure? No, he turns the water to wine. Does God take our side in our hostilities? No, he humanizes the other side. Does God kill his enemies? No, he forgives them. Does God return with re revenge on his mind? No, he comes with words of peace. Hans Urs von Balthasar says, God is not in the first place absolute power, but absolute love. 
absolute love. Here's the most amazing thing about this icon, because we're just, we're just hanging out at this icon and just thinking about God today and how God is a God of love. And one of the most amazing things about this that I want us to kind of take home, if there's only one thing you take home, is that this icon also holds open a space for participation. There's an invitation because the table is a four-sided table. There is an open side on this side of that table. If you look closely, and there's a vacant seat at the table. And the understanding of the artist here is that there is an empty seat for you, and there's an empty seat for me. And what does that mean? But it means that there is a radical invitation for us to participate in this pure love that is at the center of the universe, to be in relationship with the God who is in relationship, the community of love at the very center of all things, that there is a seat waiting for us to truly have fellowship with the divine. I want to read a description of Henry Nowen, who talks about this icon. He says this, to live in the world without belonging to the world summarizes the essence of the spiritual life. The spiritual life keeps us aware that our true house is not the house of fear in which the powers of hatred and violence rule, but the house of love where God resides. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Hardly a day passes in our lives without our experience of inner or outer fears, anxieties, apprehensions, and preoccupations. And these dark powers have pervaded every part of our world to such a degree that we can never fully escape them. Still, it is possible not to belong to these powers, not to build our dwelling place among them, but to choose the house of love as our home. This choice is made not just once and for all, but by living a spiritual life, praying at all times, and thus breathing God's breath. Through the spiritual life, we gradually move from the house of fear to the house of love. And I kind of just want to think about that for a moment. That I love that imagery. I love that language of the house of love. And I feel like there's an invitation there to participate in that. And nearly, just this morning in the worship, I, I just felt, I had this image of, perhaps it's maybe one of you or some of you in this room, just in a cloud of fear that's just circling around you. You can't see the future. You can't see your feet in front of you. You can't see the next step. And I just had that image in my, in my mind come to me as we were worshiping and how, when I read these words, that there's a journey for us, an invitation for us, that God takes us by the hand and walks us from the house of fear into the house of love. There is an invitation, Redeemer, to participate in this great mystery, which we can't explain and can't comprehend, but we're grasping at, which is that the universe is built on love, that it's really good news, despite the, the narratives that you've heard, despite the stories that you've been told, the creation is good and the universe is built on love and God is love and he invites you into it. And that's the journey. And I love Henry Nowen's words to say that the spiritual life is to live in the world without belonging completely to it.
God is love and love alone. And every day we walk when we're in communion and fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are walking in love. I'm just going to think about the things that we might fear. Maybe that is you this morning. The cloud, the fear, it's closing in. It feels narrow and constrictive and you can't see forward. The things that we talked about last week, the things that separate us, the things that isolate us, the things that disconnect us, this is not what it means to be human. But what it means to be, to be human is to belong, is to be connected, is to come together, is to be unified, is to experience intimacy and com community and belonging. And I kind of want to look at that image again of the icon. If, if you look, if you zoom out, Gavin, you'll see at the big one, you'll see at the top left, there's a house just above what is depicted as the father. And it just reminds me again of the house of love. And John 14, do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus said, believe in God and believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told would I have told that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Wherever God is, that is the place of safety and security and love, wherever he is, and he prepares a place for us. He prepares a home for us. There is a seat waiting for us, inviting us constantly, always, to commune with the divine, to walk with him. To, like Gillian was sharing earlier, to pay attention to his voice, to follow his leading. I love the words that there, we are more than conquerors. There's nothing that separates us, neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons neither the present or the future, neither any powers, neither height nor depth or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us, even that cloud of fear that maybe some of you or one of you or maybe a few of you this morning might be experiencing or whatever that is that you're carrying or wherever you locate yourself right now, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God and the invitation to fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the mystery of that is always there. About 20 years ago, and I haven't really talked publicly about this, I, I kind of went through a really difficult time. Um, and it was, it's kind of hard to talk about and kind of hard to define. I didn't really want to define it. And I didn't really know what it was. And I don't think I need to have words for it. I'm actually really at peace with it, but it was a real heavy spiritual experience that I think when I look back, I would describe as, in spiritual language, maybe I would use a spirit of fear, and maybe there's other ways to talk about that, but I had a, had a, I had a real very dark encounter, a very strange encounter one night um, that, left, that left me kind of shell-shocked for about about a year. When I say shell shock, I mean like I physically was shaking and screaming and ended up in the mental health outpatients, which was the really good place to be. 
and I was terrified, and I can't describe. It was like a spiritual experience, and perhaps there's ways to explain that in other ways, but I, I remember um, I couldn't sleep alone. I couldn't, I couldn't be alone, um, and I couldn't look in the mirror. It was a very strange experience. So my grandfather, I remember he got on an airbed and slept on the floor beside me, and he's actually 92 and currently in hospital. Um, but then he was a little bit fitter, and he was able to lie down on the airbed beside me, and he would pray every night with me. Uh, it's a very strange kind of chapter that I went through. I can't really put words to it, um, but I thought I'd want to share it this morning just because I feel like I want to testify to being walked out of the house of fear and into the house of love. And it took a long time. Um, and I, don't, I still don't quite, as I say, I can't quite explain what happened. But it had a, a, a profound effect upon me for, for, for quite some time. And yet today I can stand and say, I've experienced this this Ribloff attempt at describing what is the fellowship of the divine. And I lose it, like we all do at times, and you kind of remi you're reminded that you're, the invitation's always there. Come back into what we call communion with God. I'm not talking about quiet times, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, an experience of something deeper and truer than everything that you can touch and feel, that, that there's something sustaining this universe, and I believe that that thing is love. The God is love. It's the center of the universe. And I just want to testify to that because I, I can imagine there are myriads of stories in this room where you have experienced anxiety or fear. You might put spiritual language to it where if it was a darkness or a, a valley, dark valley of the soul, dark night of the soul, all of that. And, and yet we possess the invitation always to live in the house of love, to walk out of the house of fear into the house of love. And I, I really believe that the church is not to be a fearful church, but is to be a church rooted in love. I don't believe the church needs to engage in the culture wars. I believe it needs to be a place grounded in love and a house of love for the weary, the ones that are weary from the culture wars. I don't think we need a selfish church, but we need a church that is mutually self-giving. We don't need a church that's waging war, but waging peace. We don't need a church that's reactive, but a church that's grounded in the fellowship of the divine. We're human beings designed to be in connection and loving relationship with God, who is in and through all things. And there, that is where peace and harmony lie and that is the good news that we have to share with the world and I really don't believe that we just I believe that we can get that in, a, in an encounter with God and yet I also believe that we commit ourselves week in and week out to just faithfully following Jesus when I look at my sister Jillian and I see the years that she has followed Jesus it takes long time of following Jesus and like that encounter that Peter had on the beach keep your eyes fixed on Jesus don't pay attention to John over here you walk your path and follow Christ. And it, 
we practice the presence of God. We practice the love of God. We surrender time and time and time again. We're saved over and over and over and over again. There is a life, a journey, a walk. And I want to say there's hope today. If you are surrounded with fear, a cloud of fear, you're in that dark night of the soul, I want to say the door is wide open to the house of love. And step by step by the Spirit, I believe God calls you there and that you will reach that place. So as the church, as Redeemer, there's an invitation for us all to continually follow Jesus, come into communion with God, the God of love, the fellowship of the divine. We get to participate in that, in all its purity and its power. And I think I've kind of covered it because I think the best thing next is to come to the table. There's one more thing to say because if we put the icon up, you'll see that there is a table and there's something on the table and the altar is the Eucharist meal, the love feast, the feast of love right at the center, which we know about here because we follow Jesus. The elements of his body and his blood that represent his life laid down for us, compelled by love to give of himself on the cross, to make a way for us to come into the fellowship with God. And it's a beautiful, the cross is a beautiful work of the divine. It's a beautiful work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all at work in that beautiful moment. And I'm reminded of 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. And this is perfect love. Perfect love, Jesus on the cross. And the feast, the, the love feast at the center of the triune God that is an invitation for us to come and sup and taste and experience grace on our lips. And so we're going to do that this morning. Practically, we do it every week, but it's because it's a practice that calls us back to communion with God. So with that, I'd love you to stand. I'd love to invite Fra up. He's going to lead us in song. And my friends are going to come and serve communion to us. And as a bit of housekeeping, if you're brand new here today and you've not been here, we practice an open table, which means this table is, is absolutely open to you. The only qualifier, so to speak, is that you want to be at it. So come because Jesus calls you to it. He invites you to it. This is his table. But I want to just emphasize today that there is an invitation for us all, and I believe we can somehow take a step toward that, even this morning as we come to this table of bread and wine, to participate in the fellowship of God, to commune again, whether we're far off, whether our hearts are cold, whether we're struggling, whether we're surrounded by fear. The love of God is so much more powerful than any of that. Nothing can separate us from his love. And he invites us to walk from the house of fear into the house of love. And when we do that, the world can change. Because I love this quote from Martin Luther King, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God of love. And on this, on this Trinity Sunday, we celebrate the deep 
mystery at the heart of our faith, which is that in Christ we see that you are God, a God of love, a God of communion, a God of community, a God of fellowship, a God of self-sacrificial, mutual, self-giving love, and you invite us into that story. And so I pray today that we would set down the narratives that we have been told and we would step forward to the altar and taste of your grace at the love feast.